What is the Pottern family? This is Gareth from the Open All Powers podcast. This is Adam from Everyone Has a Podcast. This is Matthew McDonough from the Passersby podcast. This is Nick from the Epic Film Guys podcast. This is Eric Mocker from the Mockers podcast. Hey, this is Rick from Ice and the Face. Hey, guys, it's Rad Dad Chad. Jay Mills. And Lil Man. From the Full of Fiber podcast. Hey, we're Josh and David. From the Scotch and Flicks podcast. Hey, y'all. It's Juliette Miranda from the Unwritable Rant podcast. Hey, this is Bro from the World of Bro podcast. This is Cyanide from the Little Geek Loss podcast. This is Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast. This is Greg from the Sports Dance podcast. This is Knock from the Geek Over podcast. We are you. Podcasters coming together in a community to help one another grow. So follow us on Twitter at Potter Family and use the hashtag Potter Family in your tweets and retweet other people who do the same. Potter and Family, where great podcasts come home. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. guys good morning good afternoon good evening or good night welcome to an episode of the broadcast podcast my name is thomas also known as mr mma action from the mr mma action podcast i had some time to kill and i thought why don't i jump on the wwe network and see what we've got there and i'm actually going to do a wrestling companion um as you've actually if you do check out our podcast you would know that alan uh rode solo a couple of weeks ago and did wcw monday night nitro 147 which was when Goldberg won um, his first WCW World Heavyweight Championship. I've got some time to kill, and I thought I will do the same. And I just jumped on the network and thought, what's a great event that I can check out from the old WWF days? And I came across an event that I think I watched uh, when I was probably in my teen years, and I thought I should probably go back and check this one out. And I'm talking about WWF In Your House number 1. Again, this is a great event. This is in 1995. The inaugural In Your House event. Uh, this is when you had, I think, Psycho Sid and Diesel clash for the uh, WWF World Heavyweight Championship. And you also had a couple of matches that were pushing for uh, the current King of the Ring that was happening that year, uh, featuring the likes, I think, Owen Hart, British Bulldog. I think you also had King Mabel in there as well. So if you actually have the WWE Network, uh, go on to there, search up, um, go into pay-per-view events, Search by name, find In Your House, and we're going to go to the very first one, In Your House number one. So for those of you who actually want to look a bit of the history, this event took place on the 14th of May, 1995, in Sacruz, New York City. And the main event is, as I said, Diesel takes on uh, Sid Vicious, known then as Psycho Sid, for the WWF uh, World Heavyweight Championship. In regards to this podcast, you can download all previous episodes on Apple iTunes, Podbean, Breaker. We're also on Spotify. Check us out on Instagram at the Broadcast Podcast and on Twitter at the Broadcast. So if you have the network, I'm literally about to hit play right now. Here we go. Oh, now the whole thing's frozen on me. 
All right, here we go. We've got the classic World Wrestling Federation logo. So again, I broke into uh, my first interest in wrestling actually came in June of 1998, which was actually after the WWF King of the Ring, uh, where you had Mankind and The Undertaker in the Hell in a Cell, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kane for the WWF Championship. And I love the fact that we actually went back and did that as one of our very first uh, wrestling companions. We went back and watched King of the Ring 1998. And uh, yeah, we've done a number, a huge number since then. We've done the likes of two WrestleManias, both WrestleMania 30, also WrestleMania 18. Uh, we've also covered Royal Rumble 99, Royal Rumble 2000, uh, ECW One Night Stand 2005. We've done uh, two WCW shows. Uh, that was Super Brawl 8 from 1998. And we've also covered World War Three from 1997. So all of those are in the hashtag TBK Bolt. So go back and actually check it out and see all of our episodes. Again, Apple iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, Breaker, and Anchor. So we're kicking off with the opening promo. So some of the matches that we actually had on the card tonight, you had, so Bret Hart, again, was competing. Razor Ramon will actually take on Jeff Jarrett and the Roadie. Uh, you also had Owen Hart and Yoko Zuna actually defending the WWF Tag Team Championships against the Smoking Gun, so Bart Gunn and Billy Gunn. A good matchup between Jerry the King Lawyer and Bret Hart. And we also had The Undertaker and Karma, so that was a good match. So if you actually um, haven't listened to Companions before, this is literally a watch-along. So we're going to watch this from start to finish. There'll be a couple of promos that we'll actually put in during the show. But again, this is the time to sit back, crack a cold one, enjoy the episode. So again, in your house, for when I was, you know, got, got old and looked at a lot of what they were, it's almost like house shows. You didn't see lots of championships change hands at lots of these shows. Um, it was a cheaper rate, I think, where... Back here in Australia, when we wanted to buy a WWE pay-per-view, which you still can on our uh, Foxtel provider, it's about $25.95 or something like that to actually buy a pay-per-view. These in-your-houses, when they were sold to the American audiences, from what I was reading, were actually about 10 bucks. So you could get the main pay-per-view, so Survivor Series, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, SummerSlam. But these in-your-houses were a smaller, budgeted uh, show. So they were just done in smaller arenas, but they're also cheap when you would buy them. But again, it would be... The rivalries going in between those Royal Rumbles, you know, those WrestleMania and SummerSlams. Vince McMahon, he is the, uh, is the ring announcer alongside Michael P.S. Hayes right here. Doc Hendricks here with a fantastic, I would say, goldish style suit here. But again, yeah, Doc Hendricks. Look at the spelling it. D-O-K Hendricks. Not D-O-C Hendricks. The uh, former uh, teammate there of the fabulous Freebirds. Talking about actually, uh, you know, triple teams, I just checked out SmackDown earlier and watched the New Day capture their fifth uh, WWE Tag Team Championship, defeating the Bludgeon Brothers in what would say was a fantastic war. And if you actually haven't checked it out, definitely go out there and watch a fantastic matchup um, between the Bludgeon Brothers and the New Day. So we're kicking off here with our very first match. This is um, Haikushi coming out with Sinji. So again... Back there, I wasn't really watching this product at the time, but going back and looking at it now, since having access to the network, so many gimmicks we had back here. So this wrestler here, Hayushi, also under the name as Kenzu Sasaki, um, actually still going today in professional wrestling. Looks jacked as I'm just on his actual uh, Wikipedia here. This dude is jacked up, 51 years old. Debuted in wrestling in 1992. So predominantly for a lot of Japanese organisations. Some of his pro career. So he actually competed in Universal Lucha Libre, Mission O2 Pro Wrestling from 93 to 1994, and then debuted in the WWF in 1994. 
coming with the gimmick he has now. Sohei Kushi, also meaning White Angel, is the name that he went from. And they said his, his gimmick was almost like a Buddhist style. If you look at his gear that he's wearing with his hat and also the gear that he's got, uh, very Buddhist style. Uh, had some great, look at some of his feuds here. So actually feuded with Bret Hart. I don't think it was over the WWE Championship. Also competed at a couple of Survivor Series. Went over to New Japan in 1998. Had some good matches there against the great Muta for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Went back to Mission 2 Pro in 1997. And let's look at what he's done recently. So he's actually back in Mission 2 Pro now uh, from 2002 and still going today. So his actual last match was, I think it was earlier this year. Team Mission 2 Pro was eliminated from the tournament in the semi-final stage against Fist. Chucky Taylor, Eucharist, and Johnny Galgano. So that would have been probably a year and a half, two years ago. So, so he never won any championships in the WWE, but he's won the All Japan Pro Wrestling Tag Team Championship with Hibusa, also Tag Team Championships with Ultimo Dragon, and also in Pro Wrestling Illustrated, he's actually the 209 out of the best 500 wrestlers in 2003. So good on you there. So now his opponent coming down to the ring is Brett the Hitman Hart. And I've actually been going back and watching lots of the old uh, WW, or WCW Monday Night Nitro, predominantly more than 1998. Um, actually, it was more right after we did the Super Brawl 98 episode, which was actually in February of 1998. And I'm actually watching how Bret Hart you know, made his debut a couple of months earlier at Starcade 1997 and then actually had the heel turn. And it was almost like siding with the NWO and Hulk Hogan. I'm actually up to the, I think it's Slamboree. I'm just about to actually watch probably tonight, which was the Bret Hart versus Macho Man, which was a, you know, a dream matchup. You know, those two guys, when I think of professional wrestling, mainly around the early 90s, you know, two of the best guys, te best technical. You've got Bret Hart, one of the best on the mat, and then you've got Macho Man, one of the best, using the aerial moves from the top rope. So to see them actually kind of wrestle there in WCW is going to be quite cool. Um, but no, Bret Hart is... He's probably up there with Chris Benoit, you know, with two of my favourite technical wrestlers that are able to go out there, put on a show, and they could wrestle for half an hour, they could wrestle for an hour, but they could put on really good matches, and you know, you can tell that they really have perfected their craft after so many years and so many matches. And you know, I think we've got our uh, for November for the broadcast, we're looking at doing another a selection event. So we're probably going to call it hashtag Survivor Series Standoff. Where we're going to put up a list of all the different Survivor Series and uh, see what you guys want us to check out to actually cover for a wrestling companion. Uh, looking at one of the big ones on that card, you know, you've got 1997, the Montreal Screwjob. That'll be a really big event if that could potentially win. You know, I've, I've always loved Survivor Series, but really based on the Survivor Series matches, you know, having a mix of different guys who may be feuding, you know, tag teams teaming up with single stars, um, and really back around this era of the early 90s, that real team mentality where if you look at the product in the last few years, it's very individuals that have simply been put together to look like a team. You know, with the introduction of Raw and SmackDown, you've then got the idea of doing brands versus brands, which kind of gives more pride around working as a unit. But I think back at this time when it was just singles guys coming together, you know, you could look at who's going to become the sole survivor, you know, potentially get a title shot. But um, opening match here, as I said, uh, you've got this great contest here between Hibushi here and Bret Hart. You know, even a clash of styles here. You know, you've got um, Hokushi's aerial ability, 
And he got, you know, even Brett looks jacked at this time. I'm giving him a clap there. And that's the thing, like, there's so many things on the network out there that people don't know. Like, you go to the vault section of that, there's so many classic events that you can check out from, like, the old WCW Clash of the Champions. And I've also, I think, that the um, What Happens When Mondays, I think, have actually covered a couple of them. Uh, you've got, you know, all the ECW taping. So if you weren't just a fan of the ECW pay-per-view events that they did from 1995 all the way up to 2001, you can actually go back and watch ECW Hardcore TV and watch their, you know, their one-hour programming, which did highlight uh, lots of the pay-per-views they did. They used to have a couple of matches, but it makes me think of um, Ring of Honor today. You know, Ring of Honor, I watch that weekly via the Fight app, FITE.TV. You can download it on the Google Play Store, also the um, Apple Apple iTunes Store. And that had, you know, with Ring of Honor on there, it's just a simple one-hour show, a couple of promos. You can see that the shows have been taped um, a few weeks ago, but you get some really good matches fact is it costs nothing, you know, and so I think when I look at what ECW was doing with Hardcore TV all those years ago, a quick one hour program, here's a few matches, here's a couple of promos, here's some highlights from our last pay-per-view, very similar to what Ring of Honor is doing now uh, while they're on FITE, and I've also signed them to Honor Club recently, so again trying to see if we can get some access to some former Ring of Honor events, and definitely would love to possibly cover some Ring of Honor stuff for a possible uh, wrestling companion on this podcast in the near future. Um, heard some mixed things about Honor Club in terms of not all their pay-per-view events are actually on there. I think it only goes back to about 2012. So if you did want to check out things that featured you know, AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan back in that timeline, I'm talking early 2000s, it's not on the, um, on the Honor Club yet. But I've had, you know, I was reading around last night that there's talks of content being added to it but it won't be for a while. But if you really dig guys like Kevin Skeen, you know, Samoa Joe, El Giricano, the Briscoe Brothers, all those older school stuff from 2012, 2013, that stuff's all in the Honor Club. You can go back and watch some great events from, you know, Global Wars, from Super Honor Club. You know, look at Eddie Edwards and stuff like that when they were breaking in before they transitioned to TNA. But, um, yeah, get out there and get on to, you know, for only, not eight ninety nine, I think it costs a month. Then you can go VIP and get access to like a wealth more of you know uh, events, also backstage interviews, compilations, and things like that. Good technical matchup here between Brett and um, Haikusa. Very good technical fight. Look at all the actual Kenji style art. I've taken a long time to put all that art on. Timmy White, there, the referee. So happening around the same time period. So the event that took place before this was actually WrestleMania 11. Uh, this took place on April 2nd, 1995, which actually featured the main event of Lawrence Taylor actually taking on uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, which was actually that year's main event. So you actually had the, didn't have the WWE Championship actually be the main event of the show. Uh, some of the matches on the card, you had the Allied Powers, which was the British Bulldog, and Lex Luger defeated the Blue Brothers, which was Jacob Blue and Eli Blue in a tag team match. You also had Razor Ramon with the 1-2-3 Kid defeat Jeff Jarrett, by DQ with the roadie. That match was for the uh, WWF Intercontinental Championship. You had uh, The Undertaker with Paul Bearer take on King Kong Bundy with Ted Biasi, with Larry Young as the special guest referee. Bret Hart and Yokozuna with Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette uh, defeated the Smoking Guns, Billy Gunn and Bart Gunn to win the WWF Tag Team Championship. Bret Hart took on Bob Backland. Uh, this was an I Quit match with Roddy Piper as the special guest referee. Diesel with Pamela Anderson defeated Shawn Michaels with Sid and Jenny McCarthy in a singles match for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship. 
And then the main event itself, Lawrence Taylor defeating Bam Bam Bigelow with Ted Biasi. Singles match with Pat Patterson as your special guest referee. And what I didn't actually say about this match here, they just cut to a side panel showing Jerry the King Lawyer. And I'm trying to think, I think it was back at this time, was if Bret Hart was able to beat this opponent, he would actually get some time with Jerry the King Lawyer in the ring actually tonight. And they had some really good wars. I think it was King of the Ring 1995. They had their Kiss, Kiss My Foot match. Uh, another one that I'd love to cover if we do another watch along uh, wrestling companion uh, back from the 1995 timeline. Uh, yeah, so this event here previously before you had WrestleMania 11. Now, what I did last month, when, or last episode, when we covered SummerSlam 98, was to look at what was going on in the other companies during this same time period. So what I'm going to do is jump on and see what, what WCW was doing at the same time that this event was taking place. So if we go to WCW events, we're going to look at 1995. So this was May. So WCW was presenting Slamboree, where you had Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage taking on Ric Flair and Vader. That took place in Florida. What other matches did you have on that one? We also had... Who was the champion? You had the Nasty Boys defeating Harlem Heat to win the WCW Tag Team Championship. The Great Muda actually took on Paul Orendorf for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Arn Anderson successfully defended the World TV title against Alex Wright. And then, yeah, the main event. So I think Hogan must have been champion. So it would have just been a tag match between the old mega powers there with Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage with Jimmy Hart and the Renegade taking on Ric Flair and Vader with Arn Anderson as your ref. So, let's see what ECW was doing at the same time period as well. So, we got ECW events. So, again, this was May 1995. So, they actually hadn't done... They'd done some supercars, I think it was. So, they actually done... Uh, here we go, April. They'd done Enter the Sandman. That would have been... It was at the ECW Arena. The main event was... The Public Enemy, Johnny Grunge and Rocco Rock took on the Pitbulls, Pitbull 1 and Pitbull 2. So there you go, like the top three companies at the time in American pro wrestling being ECW, WCW and also the WWF. And they're also different, you know, one based really on extreme wrestling. You look at WCW as bringing in a lot of the, uh, the veterans who were once big stars in the WWF. And then you had this next generation, this new generation here. In the WWF with guys like Bret Hart, you know, that the, they were, the company was looking at putting the belt on. You had guys like Diesel coming up, being a single star, you know, looking at it, having his wars there with Shawn Michaels. Good, this is a good opening match up here. Very good match between Bret Hart. Oh, big shot. Very good match. This is the thing. I also love Vince McMahon's commentary. The almost over-the-top... Almost like Mario Ranallo on NXT. You know, he goes from being really placid and quiet, then, oh, he goes really hard like that. And that's what I remember, like, when I first broke into wrestling, Vince McMahon was actually starting to become the heel character. You know, you go back into 1998, June, when I was watching it, you know, he was cutting his promos with, uh, you know, his stooges, Briscoe and Patterson, and he was really venturing to become that heel against Stone Cold Steve Austin, where it wasn't until I went back and watched this old product that I thought, oh, yeah, Vince McMahon, he was the owner then. But... He was kind of more of an announcer-based guy. He wasn't actually doing things that owner would. He wasn't actually changing matches. You had guys like Gorilla Monsoon that were still there. You had Sergeant Slaughter, who was the commissioner. So they really became two people that you would see a lot of the time. 
instead of seeing guys like um, I know Vince McMahon in that ownership type role, and then we saw it all change, you know, with the introduction of the Attitude Era. So it really went from, I believe, you know, this new generation in around you know ninety five, ninety six. 97-ish, and then you had the whole Attitude Era kick, you know, with the wars going on between Monday Night Nitro, WWF Raw, you had talent jumping ship, um, you know, constantly over a number of months with ex-WWE guys coming over to WCW, and vice versa, with guys from WCW coming over to the World Wrestling Federation. Aikushi top rope, oh, diving headbutt, Bret Hart moves out of the way. It's been like a 10-minute open, it goes for about 14 minutes this match. I think we'll be going for at least 10. So this is why Brett's one of the best. Just flips up, almost kips up there. Oh. And the Russian, one of the greatest Russian leg sweeps. And it's sad, like, you know, you know, people honestly, I was talking to my bro a couple of months ago, talking about, you know, if Brett Hart, you know, different, didn't suffer, well, Bulldog first, Oh, didn't suffer that uh, unfortunate head kick at the hands of Bill Goldberg. You know, what would he have actually gone on to do? You know, that was towards uh, the end of 1999 going into 2000. You know, the uh, spinning heel kick hit him right on the side of the head. You know, took him out of the game. Now, would he have kept going? Possibly. You know, would he have come back to the WWE if they did the whole invasion angle? Could he have been one of the guys that would have been a lead, you know, WCW, you know, rep and, you know, one of the most disappointing things I will say, and this is about how I, you know, love Bret Hart's work, the, the return match against Vince McMahon, um, you know, it was one of those matches where it was really just a star match that was trying to bring the marquee value to WrestleMania by putting on this feud, and I just didn't enjoy it. I think Bret's was way past his best work. Um, I think it was around, you know, setting the bridges back with Shawn Michaels, fixing that relationship there, and then ending the feud of Vince McMahon. Um, but I just think, I wish he didn't. It's like, he's actually compared to two people. It was Bret Hart's return to the WWE, taking on Vince, and Sting. You know, I wish Sting actually never did what he did in WWE. You know, people say he had a good match against Seth Rollins. I actually didn't think he should have come back. Um, if he actually went to WWE, I wish it was so much earlier. You know, I remember when I was watching the product in 98, people saying, like, what if The Undertaker took on Sting? You know, to think back in 98, Sting was the crow gimmick, not speaking, almost like a mute, you know, doing his own thing high up there in the rafters. Then you had The Undertaker, you know, doing his brooding gimmick. So it's like, what would happen if these two actually met? Woo, down goes uh, Mr. Stingy there, being taken down by Bret Hart. And Bret Hart's losing it here. Oy. Um, Yeah, and it's like, I think Sting did well in TNA, and I think he was one of those staples. And when you start losing... Characters like Sting, who are your marquee guys, you know, TNA did struggle to kind of find some new people in that. And I just didn't think it was. I think it was around, you know, Sting coming and being a part of the Hall of Fame, but kind of wish that it happened a lot earlier than what it did during that time period. But um, yeah, I just think people's best stuff seems to happen in earlier in their career. Good county here by Brett going for a suplex. Out. Oh, Jesus! I think they spoke about that one. Bret Hart going for a suplex. Hakushi going for a suplex. And then they both went over the top rope very awkwardly. This is a great opener. Doc Hendricks there. Oh, 
Ref's counting too. He's going to be a cannon if he doesn't get back in. Look at Sinji there. That's a white, look at that all white suit. No, it's trying to get the count out win. Trying to get the count out win for Hoku. Oh, big punch by Bret Hart. Sinji's going down. Moonsault coming up. I saw you, Moonsault. Oh, wow. That was beautiful. He landed that perfectly in between the two announce tables, both the Spanish announce table and then the American announce table, perfectly in the middle. For a big dude, that was a fantastic maneuver. The ref stopped. Oh, the ref. No, he stopped counting. It's gonna crack a cold one, people. Ref's <sighs> gonna count him out. Brett, get in. Tell me why it's on eight. Get in, Brett. No, it's back in. It's a good open. I think we're at about, what, 12, 13 minutes now? Brett up, counter here. Ropes, oop. German suplex attempt. Roll through by Brett. He got him. Good match. So that means that Brett... Look at that. He used to do the old pyro. Look at the pyro above the ring. So Bret Hart will actually get um, Jerry the King Lawyer a bit later in the show, which I think is about match number six or seven on the actual card here tonight, which is actually a pretty short one as well. That's on there, Lawyer for President. Yeah, I don't know about that. Very cool. Yeah, so in regards to our podcast too, coming up in September, we will be actually doing um, sequel September. So we'll be actually be covering a former actual show that we've done. Uh, so we're looking at possibly putting up a poll that will have Batman Returns, Ghostbusters 2, and also Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Uh, and you guys can vote, and we'll be doing that show up there in September. But what I wanted to do now is actually give a bit of a shout-out to a podcast I've had a chance to link in with, with the last few weeks and definitely think that you guys should actually do the same. Go out and check these guys out. Hi, this is Drew Martin. And I'm Roy King. And we're part of a weekly movie podcast called Coming Off the Reels, where we discuss everything from the newest releases to our childhood favorites. We'll also break down specific years, directors, actors, and genres. We may not always stay on topic, we rarely do, but we always circle back to our love of movies. You can learn more about us on our website, comingoffthereels.com. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and anywhere else your podcasts like to hide. And follow us on Twitter, at Off The Reels, for weekly battle polls, movie haikus, and a whole lot more. So if you're looking for a new movie podcast, and I know you are, give us a try. All right, guys, we are back. We are up to our next matchup, which is our actual two-on-one handicap matchup. This was actually uh, Razor Ramon taking on Jeff Jarrett and the Roadie. So this is BG James, also would go on to become uh, Road Dog. Uh, and this is, yeah, two-on-one handicap match. Razor Ramon, again, one of my favorite wrestlers. He's one of those guys, when I actually went back and started watching these old In Your Houses via Coliseum video, it was, you know, I knew him as Scott Hall when I was watching uh, WCW. 
And when I saw him have this gimmick, I'm like, what the hell is this? It's real, almost um, Tony Montana. And I'm like, that's what they've kind of got the inspiration for. And I'm like, when I was watching WCW, I'm like, hold on, this is almost the same thing he's doing. It's almost, you know, gimmick infringement on having the same gimmick on two products. And it's probably when I started to learn that, you know, people, when they would sign to another company, they couldn't bring their gimmicks over. So you almost have to rebrand yourself completely with a tweak to your name or a tweak to your gimmick. But really with the Scott Hall Razor Ramon, nothing really changed. You know, from wearing the purple and gold attire, he went to more black. But still spoke the same, looked the same, had the long strand front hair, still threw the toothpick, the same thing he did in WWF. Um, but now you look at it so diverse now of wrestling where people can't have those style gimmicks where you have to almost completely change your name. Or when you do sign for those mega, you know, corporations, those, you know, big companies that you almost sign up everything. You know, example being, you know, when the W boys were in, you know, WWE, you think when they came to TNA, they went from being Bubba Ray Dudley and Devon Dudley to Brother Ray, Brother Devon, you know, went from being the Dudley boys to being Team 3D. So it almost limits how you can actually do a lot of your work in the ring. I have no idea what they're doing here. What the hell's going on here? There's police cars and they're letting someone in. What's this for? Oh, this is again. I think this is when they were doing different promotional competitions for people to win. I don't know if it was money or you would win like stuff for your actual lounge room. I think it was furniture and stuff like that or something like that. Here he is, Double J. Jeff Jarrett. The WWF Intercontinental Channel. Oh my god, look at the roadie. Jesus, mate. With his black and white vest, no top underneath. And you got Jarrett with his black and white, but bright white. Light up glasses. The roadie. Oh my lord. I love Jeff Jarrett's song. One of the most classic songs out there, guys. Awesome. The glasses, the glasses and the hat lighten up here. On the phone with the one, two, three kid. Yeah, that's probably the worst reception there, WWE, for the time when you're trying to do a, a wrestler doing a promo on a telephone. So, one, two, three kids saying that even though he's actually not there to be in the corner of Razor Ramon, he's going to keep his eye on the roadie and Jeff Jarrett. Uh, my confusion is if one, two, three kid, if you're not there and you're watching what roadie's doing, you really can't do anything. Uh, if it's two on one, you really, if you're not there, how are you going to stop whatever they try and do? And if it's legal, it's a two on one, so they should be able to. Uh... Oop, here's Razor. So Ray's is doing a backstage promo live with Vince McMahon from the announce table. Oh, Rose is so cool. The diamond stud, eh, in the early days of his professional wrestling with a thick mustache. One thing about Scott Hall, there's actually a, a really good documentary on the WWE Network. I, think, I don't know if it's under, if it's in the vault, but there's, some, there's, a, there's a Scott Hall one. And... 
you know, I watched it a few months ago. I've actually watched it like two or three times now. It's if you actually haven't known Scott Hall's story, it's good to see, you know, the highs and lows of his career. You know, to look at his personal side actually prior to becoming a professional wrestler. You know, things with broken relationships and family. To look at his addictions and they really go in depth really around the bad things that he did. Um, you know, coming to some of the independent shows and, you know, almost completely out of his gourd and the effects that that did. But then also looking at his positive engagement, you know, with, you know, Jake the Snake Roberts, DDP, you know, DDP Yoga and get him on track. And probably one of the most emotional things that I saw watching that was the scene where DDP and, and uh, Jake you know, contacted Scott. He said, you know, you need our support. We need to come and help you. And when they go and actually see him, he's wheelchair bound. And, you know, in, they actually didn't think he would be as bad as what he was. Very overweight, uh, wheelchair bound, wasn't able to get around as he used to. And then by the end of the whole entire thing, to see his life completely turn around, being able to walk, fitter in his mind, fitter in his body, and then actually go on to be inducted in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, Scott Hall has always been one of my favourites along with Triple H. And, you know, I've always known that... The, the, you can see behind the scene there's always something going on with people's personal life in wrestling and not everyone's all about the bright lights and one of the things that I think Scott Hall said in that actual doco was um, he loved being the bad guy. He loved being this guy because in there he could be someone where when the lights are all down, the matches are over and it's just him who didn't like himself. So definitely go out and actually check the Scott Hall, I don't know the name, I think it's Scott Hall story or something like that on the WWE Network under the docos, so it might be under WWE 24, and uh, see his road to recovery, which led to his induction in the Hall of Fame. So kicking off here, Mike Kyoto, the referee, the roadie and Jeff Jarrett takes on Razor Ramon, two-on-one handicap match, but now you've got both guys in the ring. So what Kyoto is saying is that, no, you need to only have one at a time in this handicap match. So they've agreed that it will be Jeff Jarrett kicking off with his golden curly locks. Look at that hair. And talking about uh, Jeff Jarrett's hair, on the uh, recent SummerSlam 1998 show uh, that we covered only a couple of weeks ago, we watched the X-Pac versus Jeff Jarrett hair versus hair match uh, with Howard Finkel in the corner of X-Pac and you had Southern Justice um, in the corner of Jeff Jarrett and really good matchup between you know, X-Pac and Jeff. Uh, you actually had X-Pac get the win and you actually had Jeff Jarrett get his hair shaved. Uh, that would actually lead on to the gimmick where he had the shorter hair style, I think, almost to the end of his career in the WWE, kept it going into his run as the chosen one in WCW, where he won his first World Heavyweight Championship as the WCW Champion. I think he won it two or three times before he finished up and then transitioned over to um, the NWA TNA. Uh, but yeah, looking at this, these golden hairlocks, then you've got the dreads here, of the roadie, uh, going to become road dog Jesse James uh, with badass Billy Gunn and actually form the New Age Outlaws, uh, join DX, the new version of uh, DX after the departure of Shawn Michaels. So this was really led um, by Triple H. Then they introduced the return of X-Park. China was there as well. Multi-time uh, WWF Tag Team Champions. have had a number of wars against some really good teams. I'm talking the Dudleys. We've got APA, they took on the Hollies, the Rock and Sock Connection, um, I think LOD in some of the early times, I think it was WrestleMania 14, I think it was, WrestleMania 14, they actually took them on 
for the tag team championship. Um, then they split them up, which was something that always surprised me with uh, with the Dewey Jettlers. They always got along so well with the breaking of DX. I think it was around the 1999, fully loaded. I think it was like the China and Billy Gunn takes on X-Pac Road Dog. Whoever wins gets the right to the DX name. Then you actually had them go singles again, so you end up having uh, Billy Gunn have a reign as Intercontinental Champion, Road Dog have a reign as Hardcore Champion, Road Dog actually went on to win the IC belt too. I think actually defend his championship at WrestleMania 15, which was a fatal four where they had like Bella Venus and Goldust and things like that. Um, I think they brought him back again only a few years ago, 2014, when they were doing the Authority. So you had the New Age Outlaws siding there with Kane, you know, Triple H and Stephanie. And they actually were a part of a six-man tag at uh, WrestleMania 30. We had the New Age Outlaws and Kane take on the Shield in like a two-minute ass-whooping uh, by Dean, Roman and Seth, uh, which was just, yeah, crazy. Um, and actually talking about the Shield, if you actually did check out Raw this past week, you would actually see that the Shield is back. Um, to my eyes, the Shield never really broke up. It was They were always together. It was simply the injury that took Dean out. Uh, that I always thought that when Dean returned um, only a few weeks ago, I thought, yeah, they're going to they're gonna do it. Um, I actually thought it would be SummerSlam. I had this feeling in my mind that they would actually unify during the main event, uh, possibly to actually stop Strowman's cash-in. And when I watched SummerSlam and actually saw Roman win the title and then the actual logo come up saying the end of the show, I thought, oh, they're actually holding it back. Um, but we went on to actually have that take place, you know, the next one on Raw. And I feel for the people that, I don't know if they're going to actually keep Dean's newest t-shirt on the WWE shop if they're going back to their Shield gear. Um, so the fans who might want to have actually wanted to buy the Dean top, it actually might be off the shelves and probably not relisted um, if they're going to go with the whole Shield thing now. Oh, look here, Rody's doing some dancing here. Doesn't really look like country-style dancing there, Rody. Um, yeah, so the Shield's back, you know, so you've got two members of the Shield with championships, you know, you've got Seth with the IC title, Roman with the Universal title, uh, it seems like from what I was reading online on a bunch of different wrestling websites, that it looks like Dean will be the one that actually will possibly turn, if you went back and watched the product, you know, around the times of 2015, 16, you would see that it was actually Seth that turned on the team, you know, went on to have his reign as WWF champion, or WWE champion, so it looks like the talks is that Dean might be the one that'll actually be the one that turns on them maybe at some point later. Uh, my dream match for WrestleMania is put them all three. You know, do Dean versus Seth versus Roman, you know, for the Universal Championship. That'll be a fantastic main event uh, for next year's WrestleMania. So let's see if they plant the seed. Also about matches that have recently been announced, we've got the WWE Super Showdown, which is a show taking place in actually my hometown of Melbourne, uh, which is only in a couple of weeks. October 6th, it's taking place at the Melbourne Cricket Ground, one of the biggest stadiums we have in Australia, close to 90,000 capacity, so I definitely see it being a sold-out show. Um, the Aussie fans here have always loved when WWE have come down, if it's Raw or SmackDown or both shows. Um, so matches actually were announced and also changed in the last probably 72 hours. The first change was the John Cena versus Kevin Owens match has now become John Cena and Bobby Lashley versus Kevin Owens and Elias. And they've now actually announced that you'll have Daniel Bryan will actually take on The Miz with the winner actually getting a future championship match against the WWE champion um, at some point later on this year. So let's see... 
uh, what will actually happen there. Um, you've got Triple H, Taker. You know, they started teasing that a little bit this past week on Raw with Triple H cutting a promo, talking about the Super Show, talking about this really being the last time ever. Um, so let's see what actually comes from that. And I think that's all they've announced so far. I think they put on Twitter recently saying the Shield's going to be there, uh, but nothing in regards to opponents. And who knows, the product can, can be completely different. You know, we're not even in September yet. We're only in, um, you know, towards the middle of October, of August. You know, we could have a whole bunch of new champions between now and early October. So let's wait and see there. Great teammate here by the roadie. Jeff Jarrett, Scott Hall is out. Or Razor Ramon is outside. Ref doing a count. The double team handicap match is actually working definitely in their favour. So this is a 12-minute match. We're at about the 8.5 to 9-minute uh, mark. And the side note, I did mention too, the actual IC Championship that Jeff Jarrett had at this time period is the belt we have today. Um, you know, when I broke into wrestling, the IC Championship didn't look the way it did. It was the actual more oval-shaped championship as opposed to the rectangle-squared version. Um, that's actually my favourite IC title, was the one back in the late 80s, so on that one existed right up until, oh, when did it change now? Let me have a look, I think it was, because I know, I think Miz might have been champion uh, when the belt changed, let me have a look, because I know it's had a number of divine, like designs, like the yellow strap, it's had the black strap, the white strap, here we go. And it was also discontinued, I remember that where um, it was vacated, back when they were doing the separate uh, Raw and Smackdown brands. So let's go have a look. Yeah, so he reactivated the title in 2003. That's after Triple H um, defeated Kane to actually uh, merge that with the World Heavyweight title. And then you had it redrawn. Let's have a look. No, I've looked at designs. But yeah, one of my favourite championships, because again, it was that real secondary title, you know, the winner. Whoever had that was definitely on the picture for a shot at the at the WWE champ, it's almost like winning the King of the Ring. You know, it's giving you that a real push that you're going to be the next guy uh, to be going towards to be used as a former world heavyweight champion or step into the title picture. Clash of heads there between Razor Ramon and Jeff Jarrett. Rody calling on the side wants the tag, but almost on the actual wrong side of each other. Vince saying that. Razor Ramon has a sticker on his uh, boot that says 123 Kid as a reach out there to the 123 Kid who actually isn't there. And I think that was again led up to the beatdown that was done by the roadie and uh, Jeff Jarrett uh, in, the, in the weeks leading up to this event. Oh, good side slam, backdrop. Like actually Doc Hendricks on the commentary here. Good opener. Well, that's a good second match actually. I mean, so the roadies in got the tag from Jeff Jarrett. Right on top rope. Hey, Jesus, he stuffed that one up. Leaping knee there, nearly hit the throat of um Razor Ramon. So interesting, actually, looking at these two wrestling, you know, the roadie taken or Razor Ramon. You know, two guys are part of two of the biggest stables in pro wrestling, you know, that being the NWO for Razor, um, Scott Hall, and then, you know, DX, 
for Road Dog. Um, oh yeah, Road Dog now. You know, still working for WWE. Actually, a um, backstage agent. I think a writer as well for Tuesday Night SmackDown. Um, so again, you know, left the company. Uh, went over to the NWA TNA in the really early days of the formation of the company back in 2002-2003 under the name BJ James. Um, never won the NWA title but did say he wanted to. Had a couple of matches, I think, in contention for it. Ended up actually uh, reunifying with Billy Gunn when he was known as Kip James and they became the James Gang uh, when they were first in uh, TNA, they then teamed up with Conan and became the Voodoo Kin Mafia, where they were definitely taking some shots at uh, Triple Rules, really Triple H and Shawn Michaels, because at the same time period that the James Gang, you know, Voodoo Kin Mafia was back together, you also had um, DX was being redone. So I'm thinking it was around 2007, 2008, where it was just Shawn Michaels and Triple H, you know, doing their stuff with DX. Um, I think they also called out DX to actually come to one of the TNA shows and take them on, which was, you know, just a challenge, but nothing actually ever come from that itself. Uh, but I actually remember that when it did take place that they were challenging, uh, you know, WWE to do something. Almost like when um, you had DX try and come over to Nitro back in the Attitude Era. Um, but yeah, so it's good to see that, you know, you maybe burn some bridges when you go to another company, but, you know, to still come back and still, oh, second rope back body drop there by Razor. Yeah, you know, you burn some bridges, but you can definitely come back. And I think with pro wrestling, I have always been under the belief that you never say never, especially with anyone coming over to another company. Like, I never thought we would see AJ Styles in WWE after seeing all the stuff he was doing in TNA. And I went over to New Japan, you know, won the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. You know, from Bull, or was part of the Bullet Club leading that, you know, with Gallows and Anderson, and then to actually transition out. Counter there by Scott. Razor Ramon knocks off Rhodey, going for the Razor's Edge. Get him up. Got Jared up. Cross the arms out. And boom! Down goes Jeff Jarrett, Counter Kyoto. Scott Hall with the win. Razor Ramon. Defies the odds and defeats the roadie and Jeff Jarrett in our second match here tonight of In Your House. See, Vince McMahon is so good on commentary. I love Vince McMahon's commentary. Oh, no, 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 look out. Roadie is trying to attack Razor. Roadie ducks. Big right hand by Razor Ramon. Now he's going for a Razor's Edge on the roadie. Oh, up he goes. Razor's edge. Ah, no. Damn it. Jeff Jarrett attacking the left leg of Razor. Dropping some elbows. Let's see if he puts on the figure four. Yep, here he goes. The figure four. Woo! Made famous by the nature boy, Ric Flair. Now it's a double team. Trying to take out the knee. And you got Road Dog dancing here. Look. Oh. So here we got Elva Montoya. That actually would go on to become just incredible. So this is Montoya, the man of war. Look at him with that frizzy hair. And it was almost like an unofficial member of the clique that you would have uh, backstage as well. So just incredible. There he is. Look at the gear. You got a yellow mask and almost like superhero style uh, outfit. 
the former ECW World Heavyweight Champion there, just incredible. Not still targeting the leg. Going for another figure four. And here comes Sovio Vega. And they're selling it like they don't know who he is. It's almost like it's a fan that jumped the guardrail. And if they're portraying it as that, there's no security and even the referee's not stopping him. Close on at the top. Down goes Roddy. Huge power slam on Jericho. Here comes all the refs. He's jacked up there too, Sovia. Look out. Look out. So you had Montoya come to the aid of Razor. Didn't work. Savio Vega come to the aid, which has worked, because down goes the roadie and Jared are leaving the ring. He's ready to fight. Now all the security and the agents and the refs are trying to actually calm him down and get him out of the ring. Wow. Oh, here comes the, now they've got the police there. They've actually got the police there. In handcuffs. Yeah. I wonder if they, this is the thing, I wonder if they were using wrestlers back then for the police guys. Or if they were using like real security. Because you know today in today's product, you know, a lot of the backstage dudes you see pretending to be security would go on to become former wrestlers, you know, the likes of the bar, like um was it Cesaro and Seamus had actually done that before. And he actually had them playing um backstage uh security guards or agents. So while this opening or this next promo is coming up, I just want to give another shout out to another great podcast uh, that I actually checked out yesterday. Uh, the newest episodes just dropped, so I think you should do the same and go and check these guys out. From the galactic depths of the comic book universe comes the ghosts of the stratosphere, ready to galvanize and energize your mind with the latest of comic book news and reviews. And why, why are you stopping me? Yes, that's much better. Hi, this is Andy Larson for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. Join me every week along with my co-hosts Rob Stewart and Chad Smith as well as a cavalcade of fantastic comic book guests as we dish out heaping helpings of the greatest and latest of comic book news and reviews. New shows posted every Tuesday with bonus shows every first Friday of the month. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher under Ghosts of the Stratosphere as well as on our website www.gotstratosphere.com Hope to see you soon, folks. Alright guys, we are back here actually watching the promo for the WWF King of the Ring, which was taking place on June 25th, so it was actually only a few weeks uh, actually after this event. You've got Jerry the King Lawyer actually talking about his annoyance actually having to go and compete against Bret Hart tonight. After Bret Hart won his opening contest to get time with the King in the ring. So our next matchup is, this is match number uh, four on the overall card. There was one match on the pre-show, which was Jean-Pierre Latafi took on Bob Holly, which was only a short match. We've got a promo here looking at Psycho Sid. See, even then, like Sid Vicious, like I didn't really know Sid until... Probably when I was watching a lot of Nitro when he was there in 99 as Sid Vicious. Um, I did actually, I think, check out some of the old content uh, via the Coliseum video WWF VHSs that you would watch. I think one of the first events I watched with him was the 1995 or 1997 Royal Rumble when he took on Shawn Michaels for the WWF Championship. Oh, yeah. 
and it was almost like the hired gun uh, that's, that uh, Sean had brought in. And there's the turning there of Sid Vicious on, uh, on uh, Sean with a jackknife. One of the creepiest songs as well, dudes. God, look at that. <laughs> so intimidating and so creepy. Uh, if you did actually were watching Sid Vicious during the you know the end of his career, you would know of the the pretty bad injury that he had um, in WCW at WCW Sin in two thousand and one, uh, where he suffered a really bad. I think it was a left leg break from the knee down after trying to deliver a second rope big boot. So doing a big boot from the second rope, I think to try and kick. I think it was uh, Scott Steiner. Um, the leg actually snapped from below the knee. Um, it was one of the most graphic injuries I've seen in my professional uh, career of watching wrestling. I think if you watch it, because he used to wear really high boots up to the knee level. And when the leg broke, it actually didn't pierce the boot. So you just see the boot and the fabric just bend to his actual leg. Um, so much surgery had to be done. I think he had lots of metal plates and screws put in. Lots of years of recovery. I think he actually did end up returning to the ring. It's a couple of independent shows. Um, but really, he, his biggest stuff was happening, I would say, probably in the WWF. You know, the thing back, they wanted to make him the next Hulk Hogan. You know, they thought he could do that during the tension that they had him there. Oh, he thought he could be the next Hulk Hogan himself. He did have some great wars, you know, him and uh, Diesel, him and Shawn Michaels. And I think he was also there the same time period as Stone Cold Steve Austin as well. So that you've got two great guys there. Um, his tension in WCW was, eh. You know, he had some a couple of big wars there against Goldberg. I remember that being Halloween Havoc. I think it was 99 for the United States Championship. It was just a bloodbath between both guys. And if you actually haven't checked that one out, uh, go and see that match between Sid and Goldberg. Halloween Havoc 99 for the US title. Um, he also had, I think, a short time in ECW. Uh, I remember watching an odd thing when he was at ECW with the denim jeans and had a couple of matches. And part of me wants to say just incredible, but it could be wrong. But I know he was. Um, he had a short couple of appearances, almost like Scott Hall did uh, for ECW in between their tensions with WCW. So now we've got here King Mabel. Uh, or actually, would go on to become King Mabel, but known here as just simply Mabel. Is here with Mo. Um, this is the King of the Wing, King of the Ring qualifying matchup. So he's actually taking on Adam Bomb in this contest. As that ad came on previously, saying that next month was the King of the Ring. So instead of actually doing the qualifying matches on Raw as well, they actually used the In Your House as a way to actually start pushing these guys to qualify to make that smaller list. So big back here. So. Yeah, Mabel went on to become, you know, the gimmick of uh, Viscera in the later times where I started watching wrestling. Was a member of the Ministry, teaming up with Midian, also the Acolytes and the Undertaker. Uh, did that gimmick for quite some time. And then again, you know, went on to have a couple of failed gimmicks there with, um, you know, Sexy Midian or whatever that gimmick he was wearing when he was doing like almost like a Playboy who Hefner style in towards the end of his career. Big Daddy V is something I've always remembered back when they rebranded ECW and brought him in as this monster that was ripping through the ECW ranks. Um, never won the actual ECW title, but he had a pretty good matchup against, I think it was CM Punk for the ECW Championship. I think that was around 1998. No, no, 2007, 2008. Adam Bonk an explosion there. See, so many gimmicks. Gimmicks back in this time in 1995 got the goggles, I think. 
So Adam Bomb would actually go on to compete in WCW with Chronic uh, with Brian Adams. Uh, yeah, I think if my bro Alan will be listening to this episode, he probably would say no. No thanks to the Chronic. Uh, they were a good team. Um, I remember their matches with, with Goldberg towards the end of Goldberg's tenure. Both guys, both um, Adam Clark and um, Adam, um, Adam Bomb, um, Brian Adams, just always seemed so confused with what was actually going on. And I remember when they actually made their debut in the WWE, both Clark and Adams, they took on The Undertaker and Kane. And it was Unforgiven 2001, and it was for, I think it was the WWF Tag Team Championship. And the Brothers of Destruction just completely mauled them. And it was a match that Chronic just didn't know what was going on. And I would love to actually hear, you know, something to wrestle with podcast talk about when Chronic was actually brought in, they had Stephen Richards actually as their manager for that short time, and they only had like a handful of matches in WWE, I'm going to say maybe three, um, I know there was one on the Smackdown leading up to that match against Kane and Taker, but they might have had maybe one more after the match against Brothers of the Destruction, but that was a, uh, a, a failed brought in, um, I don't know what they actually both went on to actually do, so let's look at the actual history here of Adam Bomb. And his tenure in WWE. Uh, so with his gimmicks he's also had was the Night Stalker, Adam Bomb, and Wrath when he was in WCW. He is a former WCW World Tag Team Champion and AWGP World Tag Team Champion. He actually, let's look at his professional wrestling career as of now. So he actually uh, retired in 2003. So as I was saying, they actually talk about here um, he's worked there at Unforgiven 2001. Um, he was released from his contract and started working at Heartland Wrestling Association. He was released in November of that year. Him and Clark reformed Chronic and made a number of appearances in the independent circuit, most predominantly World Wrestling All-Stars and All Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, he wrestled their last match together in January 2003 using Takenshi, Mota and Goldberg. Shortly afterwards, both Adams and Clark retired, both due to injuries. So, yeah, he's never had a big singles run. Definitely was a good tag team guy. Um, but I do remember back in these early days of doing the, uh, the Adam Bomb gimmick that he had. Oh, big side slam there by Mabel. And it's over. Well, that was a quick one. The match only going for 1 minute and 54 seconds. And the mohawk there of uh, Mabel. And for those of you who actually were, who actually had did check out um, the King of the Ring 1995, you would know that it actually took place in uh, Philadelphia, the home of ECW. And there was a big consistent of ECW fans actually chanting for ECW uh, during a few of Mabel's matches that will take place in June next month. Now there's a backstage promo here with Razor Ramon with Savio Vega, which is they'll probably announce his name here because they have not done that yet. There you go. This was the actual the debut of Savio Vega. But it's actually some pretty good matches. I remember him, I think it was the what was the strap match that he had? Let me have a look. I know he had a really good strap match. I forgot who it was with now. Was it against Razor? I remember him actually being on uh, 
where it was the Team DX. It was the No Way Out 1998 before the WrestleMania 14. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels with Mike Tyson as the ref. The No Way Out previously before that. I remember he actually teamed up because um, he had like the Outlaws and Triple H and Austin in this. I think it was like a um, six-man or eight-man war. Uh, just weapons everywhere. So go and check that one out. Also Kane Invader. Invader getting smashed with a wrench, I think, um, by Kane. So our next match here is the Smoking Guns. You've got Billy Gunn and Bart Gunn actually taking on the tag team champions of Owen Hart and Yokozuma with both Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji. You've got an irate Jerry the King lawyer making his way down to the ring. No, they're trying to tell him to get out though. Okay. Look at the mullet there of the king as well. Wee. Not to pushing him out of there. So the smoking guns, let's have a little bit of a look about these guys. So the smoking guns. So they actually made their debut in the World Wrestling Federation in 1993 to 1998. And they actually were three-time WWF Tag Team Champions. Um... The original name was the Long Riders, where they actually competed in the International Wrestling Federation. Uh, their name is, was Brett Colt, while Billy Gunn went with the name Kip Winchester. They won the IWF World Tag Team Championship together twice before both signing with the World Wrestling Federation. The Smoking Guns made their WWF debut on April 5, 1993, the day after WrestleMania 9, defeating Barry Horowitz and Reno Riggins. Their first pay-per-view appearance was King of the Ring 1993 in an eight-man tag team match where it was the Smoking Guns and the Steiner Brothers getting a win over the Head Shriekers and Money Incorporated with Billy Gunn pinning Ted Biasi. So looking at, if I jump now to this timeline here, so, when did they split? So, they actually split up caused by Sonny. Uh, Sonny eventually caused the team's downfall as she became the source of infighting between the two. Then when the Smoking Guns lost their tag team championship to Owen Hart and British Bulldog in September of 1996 at In Your House Mind Games 10, Sonny left, Sonny left the team because she only wanted to be a manager for the title holders uh, since it was actually being Hart and Bulldog. Billy, uh, frustrated with losing the title, and Sonny turned against Bart. Billy briefly feuded with Bart. After facing each other in tag team matches, they feuded, uh, accumulated in a one-on-one -on -one battle. During the match, Brett ac Bart accidentally injured Billy's neck, forcing Billy to take some time off and drawing their feud to an abrupt halt. So there you go, guys. So that was back in 1996. Um, soon, so Bart went to wrestle for NWA, where he returned in 1998 as a part of the Brawl for All tournament. And if you actually remember anything about that, I recommend going out and listening to Something to Wrestle with one of their really early episodes where they actually talk about the Brawl for All and what that was. Again, it was almost like a shoot fight uh, boxing that took place. I think it featured about 8 to 10 guys during 98, which actually ended up with uh, Bart Gunn taking on Butterbean at that year's WrestleMania and getting knocked out uh, very, very quickly in a pretty hectic knockout. Um... They did actually, let's go back here. Yeah, so the Billy Gunn uh, went on to become the Rocket Billy. Uh, that failed to catch on, and then he simply became badass Billy Gunn, won the IC title, the Hardcore title, and the 99 King of the Ring. 
And then again, you know, you still have him wrestling um, independently now. He does compete for uh, Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore that you can check out on Twitch. Also on Twitter at House of Hardcore. He's also come down here to Australia and actually done a couple of shows uh, with Road to House of Hardcore. So he's still wrestling uh, now. Um, as I was saying earlier, you know, he did return to WWE in 2014 uh, with Road Dog with the whole idea with authority, but I think he's gone out being a singles guy again. Um, again, a great guy. Uh, one of the guys I really loved during the time of uh, the 1999 when he was a heel, you know, he's probably his most high-profile match he had was against The Rock uh, when after he won the King of the Ring. And I used to think, you know, you look back at the King of the Rings was that the winner would be next in line for a shot, and it never really seemed to actually happen with Billy. Um, he nearly, never really got that big main event quality, never won you know, the WWE Championship, but had some pretty high-regarded matches. Yelling here at Mr. Fuji there with the uh, Japanese flag. Owen Hart, great insiguri there. So the team here, I just want to look at the actual history of uh, the team of Red Hart, of um, Owen Hart and Yokozuma. So this team was actually formed in, uh, I think it was, it was April 1995, and actually disbanded in the same year, in September 1995. So only active for one year. Uh, they actually debuted at the previous event at WrestleMania 11 uh, when Yokozuma was Owen Hart's mystery partner. Uh, this was Yokozuma's first appearance, I think it was since the 1994 Survivor Series. So it was actually, he was gone for about, would have been six and a half months. And they actually defeated Smoking Guns at the previous event there at WrestleMania to actually win their first uh, WWE Tag Team Championship together. Uh, the actual group, let's look at when they split up here. Uh, they went on to hold the title for 175 days during their first reign. Hart and Yokozuna were awarded titles back the next day by their lawyer Clarence Mason because Hart was Hart was pinned in the match and was not part of the match. Therefore, Michaels and Diesel could not be champions. The same night, Hart and Yokozuna went on to lose the titles to the Smoking Guns. After the match, the team disbanded as Yokozuna focused on his singles career while Hart uh, formed a tag team with the British Bulldog in 1996 but again look at the, the styles here you've got the big mass power that the former WWF champion Yokozuma brings in to the great technical ability that Owen Hart brings you know much like his brother Brett very very good in the ring um, Owen Hart was one of those guys where I wish he had a reign as WWE champion you know his gimmick that he had towards the end of his career um, in 99 he just I reckon that around that period of 98 he could have done it when he was the you know uh the Blackheart, you know, we recently covered SummerSlam. You know, he took on Ken Shamrock in the, uh, what was it called, the um, Lion's Den cage and also the uh, Stu Hart's Dungeon. I definitely think he could have been a real contender uh, to be a um, WWE champion, but it was never to be. You know, we tragically lost him in April of 1999 and I think um, for a lot of wrestling fans, you know, watching... Oh, and here, you know, this is where he was a real star. You know, 95, 96, 97, 98. You know, even when Brett, you know, um, did have his, uh, you know, he's, he's leaving with WWE, you know, in 1997, Owen Hart still stayed. And I think, you know, I would have loved to, have, you know, if both brothers could have won the world title at two separate times, you know, one in WCW and one in WWE. Great neck breaker there by Billy and Bart. There's Jim Cornette there with his tennis racket. Referee's distracted. No. Owen Hart kicks out. Oh, Jesus. Buck, I got tangled up in the ropes there. 
You got Jim Cornette. Oy! Great selling there by Jimmy. Billy Gunn with a huge overhand right, knocking down Jimmy Cornette. Yokozuma beating down on Bart Gunn. He's rolling him back in. I think he's squashed him now. There's the cover. Done it. Your winner and still WWF Tag Team Champions, Owen Hart and Yokozuma with Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette. Which is something you don't see today with a team with more than one manager. You know, you think back there because, you know... Uh, Mr. Fuji was more of the manager of Yokozuma, and you know Cornette was more the manager of Owen Hart. But you don't really see that today, where you have a uh, a team with more than one manager. <sighs> oh, backstage promo here with the World Wrestling Federation champion Diesel. This is about his impending uh, championship match against Psycho Sid, uh, which is taking place in like less than twenty minutes. And Blackhead too, Blackhead Diesel. And yes, you know, if you were going to watch, uh, you know, Nash make his debut uh, with the NWO, he went on to change his whole entire hair color uh, to the what, almost ginger, ginger brown, um, and then go full on short um, during his last run with WWE. So he's talking about the sneak attack by the Money Inc. Um, and how was that going to be impactful on his match tonight defending his championship? So to think back, this was what, 23 years ago, this event going. And talking about, you know, Diesel being a champion, you know, Kevin Nash actually won a world title, I think, very recently. I saw it actually come out on Twitter. Let me see if I can find out uh, where he actually won it. It'll be on his championship and accomplishments. He won a world title at a small... Here he is. He won the Big Time Wrestling, uh, the New England Big Time Wrestling Heavyweight Championship. Um, run it, I think it was like two weekends ago. So, at, you know, 59 years of age, he's still going out there collecting uh, world championship belts. So they're talking about the idea of Psycho Sid, you know, attacking the likes of Shawn Michaels, also Razor Ramon, almost injured Mentoya uh, with a great jackknife. That Diesel's the one that they want to be, the one to step up and rid him of his destruction that he's been doing across the World Wrestling Federation and Monday Night Raw. Probably the Jerry the King lawyer they're going to cut back to. So we're back here now to the arena. This is the next matchup. Is the Jerry the King lawyer versus Bret Hart singles contest. What there? Jerry the King lawyer has said he's brought his mum to ringside. She looks at least 20 years younger than him. What the hell is this? That is so cool. I'm giving that a clap. Oh my god. Oh my lord. Thanks, Mum. I'll do that. So they're selling the fact that Brett um, looked like he's going in with a leg injury. They showed him icing his leg um, a couple of matches ago, so it looks like he's going to have 
that Jerry the King Lawyer has a target area come into Brett's match. Oh, King. Such a good heel. I've always loved his heel take. Even when I was watching, um, you know, the product now, he's, you know, a lot more reserved, more face value, where the heel king would say things that make you go, oh my God, just almost cringeworthy. Now he's opening the, the ropes for his mum to, uh, to leave the ring. Oh, King. Oh, Brett. Here he comes. So they're going to cut to, I think it's Brett Hart now. Yes, so he's definitely selling that something's not right. Here he comes. It's on. So he's trying to say that, you know, the knee's not as bad as what people think. And I'm actually coming out there. Let's have this war. So this is match uh, number six of the total actual show. Here he comes. Oh, he's, he's limping a bit though. Oh, wait, no, he's selling it like he's injured. And now he's running down to the ring. I love the set of the in your house, literally the front of someone's house. You've got the front window, the front door, and also the garage. So some of the other dark matches I think they also had on this night was you had uh, Bam Bam Bigelow took on Tanaka. This was with Ted Biasi in his corner. And also the British Bulldog and Owen Hart also had a draw. So that was again part of the King of the Ring qualifying. So you actually don't get uh, those two matches on the WWE Network. It also had The Undertaker versus Paul Bearer. Uh, Undertaker with Paul Bearer versus Karma uh, with Ted Biasi. That was also a dark match. So... I don't think you get them on the network as well, but I think you would have maybe on the old VHS version. Um, but looking at what we're taping here, I actually don't think we get those three matches. So what we'll still have is the Diesel Psycho Sid Heavyweight Championship, but it's looking like we won't get The Undertaker, Karma, Bigelow, Tanaka, and also British Bulldog and Owen Hart matches. Um, so King selling it so well as a heel. Begging the referee to stop the match. Ugh. So I've actually never really watched a lot of King's matches in the old days. So let's actually have a look at some of the... When King first actually debuted in WWE. Because I know he did lots of stuff in the Memphis scene. Like in the early 1970s. So he actually debuted in 1992 as an announcer on WWF Superstars. From 1993 to 1995 he fitted with Bret Hart and the rest of the Hart family. So there you go. The feud began at King of the Ring when Hart interrupted, oh, when Lawyer interrupted Hart's victory ceremony and attacked Brett. Lawyer claimed that he was the only true king in the World Wrestling Federation and the two were scheduled for a match at SummerSlam to settle the dispute. However, at the event, Lawyer came to the ring on crutches and claimed that he could not wrestle because of the injuries suffered in a car accident. Brett then faced, uh, Hart then faced uh, Lawyer's court jester, Doink the Clown, instead and beat him by submission. Lawyer then attacked Hart, revealing that he was not injured. Hart uh, defeated Lawyer by submission, uh, but refused to release the sharpshooter as a result of the referee reversing the decision and awarded the title of Undisputed King of the World Wrestling Federation to Jerry the King Lawyer. Uh, you also had uh, Lawyer engage in a bitter view to Vince McMahon, 
This was again over the fact of the USWA, so actually go out and check this, all this old stuff out. Uh, there's also cross-promotion stuff. You had like Giant Gonzalez, Tanaka, and Macho Man actually went from being on WWF TV and went over to the USWA TV program, again based there in uh, Tennessee, Memphis. Um, so that year's Survivor Series, you had the Hart family, Brett, Owen, Bruce, and Keith, were scheduled to face a team captain by Lawyer in an elimination match at Survivor Series. However, Shawn Michaels had to take Lawyer's place because Lawyer was facing legal troubles. As a result, the feud between Vince and Lawyer backed into the USWA was also abruptly discontinued. Lawyer did not want to face Brett in another review until in the first In Your House, where they had their matchup here. And this is this is what I was saying. Their, their big matchup that I remember was their Kiss My Foot match, which was actually at the 1995 King of the Ring. So if you think, this actual feud has been on for two years. Because Bret Hart won the 1993 King of the Ring. So to think back that this has been brewing for quite some time with really the big pay-per-views featuring it, the likes of King of the Ring, Survivor Series was also mentioned, and also SummerSlam. That's a low blow there. Bret Hart just did a full low blow and El Hebner did nothing. And I think Bret's losing it here. Senju's here. And El Hebner's telling him to get out. Get out of him. Earl, grab Get him out of there, Earl. Oh, oh now Earl Hebner's foot stuck in... What the... Earl Hebner's stuck in the middle rope hanging outside the ring and Sanji ain't helping him. Here we go. Brett staying onto the middle rope going for the diving elbows. Oh, there's no ref. There's no ref for Brett. He comes Hakusi, top rope, going for the diving headbutt. Oh, kind of mucked that up for more of a splash, but. And the referee didn't see it. And Sinji's trying to get the ref's foot out. Let's go on top rope again. Haikushi top rope. Diving headbutt. Oh, spike headbutt. And King saying do one more. So now he's going over to the other turnbuckle. Earl Hebner still hasn't seen it yet. Two headbutts. And the referee's just waking the alert to it. Look at King going for a sharpshooter. Don't go for the sharp. Don't tell me you're going for the No, roll up. Count it. Jerry the King lawyer beats Bret Hart. It took not one, not two, but three people to actually beat the Hitman. But the King gets the win. As I said, this feud will actually continue on to the 1995 King of the Ring in late June, uh, where they would have their uh, Kiss My Foot match. Um, if you actually know the rest of the story, go and check it out. But I would actually love to possibly cover that one as well for a future show. Here comes the three-man beatdown. Oh, great counter there by Hitman. Down goes Lawyer. Haikushi getting some right hands by Bret Hart. And it's just Sinji left with the Hitman. And there's Jerry the King Lawyer with his uh, mother, supposedly, who looks like she's about 20. So a victory for King, but the feud is definitely not over now. We're going... 
to our main event. Uh, as I said earlier, this was the Diesel takes on uh, uh, Sid Vicious, Psycho Sid, for the uh, World Wrestling Federation Championship. But just before we actually kick into the main event, I just want to give a shout out to one last promo for a great show that you guys should definitely go and check out. So enjoy. Hey you, yeah you, what are you doing after you finish this great podcast you're listening to? Well whatever it is, you're going to blow that off and listen to the IMDB Journey podcast instead, hosted by Daniel, that's me, and Dean, that's me. Join us on our journey as we tackle the IMDB Top 250 list, breaking down one movie a week, giving our own rankings as we go, as well as our incredibly intelligent and insightful thoughts too. (laughs) We also throw in a random quiz or movie battle every once in a while and have a punt on it. Because us Aussies, we love a good punt. (gasps) Daniel, this is a G-rated promo. You can't say that. I said punt, Dean. Punt. You dickhead. So come join us on the journey by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcast apps, and follow us on Twitter at IMDB Journey. And now back to your regular scheduled programming. All right, guys, we are back, and it is now time for our main event. The World Wrestling Federation Championship is on the line. Uh, two of my favourite big men in the world of professional wrestling, uh, both Kevin Nash and Sid Vicious, they had some wars in WCW. But this year actually marked the first time we actually had them facing off in a WWF ring. So you had Diesel actually coming in at his height here. Where's his height? Six foot ten. And you had Psycho Sid actually also coming in at six foot nine. So two of the big men. I think prior to these two, you had Taker, was probably one of the biggest guys they had there as well. I think Yokozuma was also quite big. I think he was about six foot four, six foot five. Jesus, Psycho Sid. So, yes, Psycho Sid had a number of gimmicks, a number of names. So some of the names was Lord Humongous, also known as Sid, Sid Yuji, Sid Justice, Sid Steel, Sid Vicious, Psycho Sid, and Vicious Warrior. So he actually made his professional wrestling debut in 1987. He won the WWF Championship twice, the WCW World Heavyweight title twice, and the USWA Unified World Heavyweight Championship twice as well. I think he also held the WCW United States Championship. So let's look back to when he actually made his professional wrestling debut for the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, Let's have a look at part of the Four Horsemen. Uh, We might talk about that in another episode, but we're just going to focus on his WWF tenure. So he actually debuted in the WWF at Superstars Taping on May 28th, 1991, Uh, He actually came to the ring and cleared the ring of the Mountie following the Mountie's open offer. He then faced Ted Biasi in his first WWF match at a non-televised event in Calgary on July 8th, which Sid won. On June 9th, our June 8th episode of Primetime Wrestling, Villagens began airing promoting his WWF debut. He was introduced as Sid Justice and also figures as a smiling or glaring at the camera. He then debuted on WWF TV on Superstars on January 20, July 20th. He was announced as a special guest referee for the main event of that year's SummerSlam, where the Ultimate Warrior and WWF Champion Hulk Hogan teamed up against the Triangle of Terror, Sergeant Slaughter, uh, this is Colonel Mufasa, and Glenn Eldrin in a three-on-two handicap match. And later that night, he went on to save Randy Savage and Miss Elizabeth from an attack at the hands of Jake the Snake Roberts and The Undertaker at the newlyweds couple's reception. 
had a short line, a short feud against Taker. So more around this period, he's more of a face at that time. So I think he actually left though in '92. Yeah, so he actually went back to WCW in 1993 as the mystery competitor on Colonel Robert Parker against Van Hammer at Slamboree 1993. He made his return back to the WWF in 1995, aligning with Shawn Michaels. Uh, so this was in February 20th, 1995, came back as Psycho Sid and was the bodyguard of Shawn Michaels along with Jenny McCarthy. Um, he also accompanied Michaels to ringside for Michaels' WWF Championship match against Diesel at WrestleMania 11. He won that match, but then Sid uh, stood on the ring apron and distracted referee Earl Hebner, allowing Diesel time to recover and pin Michaels after a jackknife powerbomb to win the match and retain the title. And then in that opening promo we saw at the start of this show, you did see where Sid actually powerbombed Michaels and actually took him out, powerbombing him not once, not twice, but three times. And actually going as a face at that time period. You actually had Diesel then actually came to the aid of actual Michaels. Um, but then you had, you know, the feud going in here between the two where Sid went more with the, uh, the Money Inc. So Ted Biasi, the Million Dollar Corporation and actually went on to actually be the healer with that team and then go on to actually take on Diesel here at the inaugural In Your House that we're about to cover. So what they're doing now is they're choosing a winner uh, in their first In Your House prize. So I think people had to call in with an address and phone number. So now they're calling people and whoever answers actually wins the prize. And I think they've tried like two people and no one's answered. This is the joys of live pay-per-view TV, guys. Oh, they've got somebody. Let's see what they win. They've won the house. They didn't say how much the house was though at the start. Oh, I might have missed it, but they've actually won the house. I thought they won like furniture and things like that. Oh, you look at it. Giving away houses here in the World Wrestling Federation in May 1995. So you've got people who say Matt, what, Papanillo has won a house, guys, back in 1995. Let's see if he's, I wonder if he's still living there, what, 25 years, 23 years later. Here we go, guys. Time for our main event. Once again, guys, thank you for actually listening to this episode. I think uh, we've done a number of episodes, more than 25 episodes that you guys can check out on our Apple iTunes, also on Podbean, uh, Breaker, Anchor, and not on SoundCloud anymore. Um, but again, a lot of our old stuff was actually on there. Um, I've enjoyed this. This is actually my first time doing my own thing. Um, I actually need someone to banter off. Though. I wish my bro was actually here to do it. Uh, we will be doing a couple of wrestling companions, though. We were looking at possibly recording our uh, ECW One Night Stand 2006 bonus show. That's for actually topping um, 4,500 followers recently on Twitter. We've also stated that we will be doing another bonus show when we actually clock uh, 4,000, uh, actually clock 5,000 followers. 
and I checked earlier today, we're like less than 120 away. So thank you guys for all your retweets, your love, and following our show on Twitter. Uh, we're trying to get something different, you know, go back and follow the people who grew up in the same era we did, you know, watching the 90s of wrestling, go back and reminisce, looking at these great shows that are there on the WWE Network. And, you know, I might even look at possibly doing more In Your Houses in the future, so maybe I might do In Your House 2, Maybe next time I do a solo thing, but we'll see how we go. So here we have Psycho Sid with Ted Biasi with his orange trunks on here. So again, actually, as I said before, returned to the World Wrestling Federation after a short run in uh, WCW. If you've watched the promo before, it did take out the likes of Rose Ramon, uh, Montoya, and also the Triple Powerbombs to Shawn Michaels only it would be only a few weeks ago because WrestleMania I think was early April of that this year. Totally psychotic sign there in the audience. So this match goes this is about a, a 12 minute matchup between pretty so that's pretty that's a good number for some pretty big dudes. Um, you know you look at most recently guys like Strowman and uh, Brock Lesnar you know usually 10 minutes is a pretty big ask. I think the actual match that took place recently between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar only went for like seven and a half or something at SummerSlam. And that's including, you know, all the, the um, anarchy outside the ring with Strowman and stuff like that. It was like a six-minute match. But then he even... He's actually only calling him Sid. Okay, I thought he was Psycho Sid. Only referring him to as Sid at this time. So, shortly, I'm just looking at what happened after this event, though. What Sid would actually go on to do. Alright. So, he would actually go on to King of the Ring, where Diesel and Bam Bam Bigelow took on Sid and Tanaka. And then he actually returned at King of the Ring to the Lumberjacks. Okay. I definitely might actually do that one in a couple of weeks' time. We'll see how people go this episode. If you like it, I might go and do a couple of more in your houses. So here we have Diesel, Kevin Nash, you know, one of my favourite big men. Um, I recently come across a gif that I saw someone uh, put up online of Diesel doing a top rope plancher onto King Mabel, um, actually around this time period, like leaping from outside the ring, inside to outside with a flying plancher. You know, for someone that's six foot ten, to jump over the top rope is amazing. And look at guys like Taker. You know, he's been doing that for a long time. But I never thought I thought you'll see, you know, Diesel, Kevin Nash, leap over the top rope to try and take somebody out. You got Vince McMahon being eyed at here um, by Sid. Oi. So let's look at Diesel's history, guys. So Diesel, let's look at his championship reigns. So in WWE. He was a former, let's have a look here, a one-time WWF champion, four-time WCW World Heavyweight Champion, and 12-time tag team champion across three promotions. Nash's 358-day reign as WWF champion is the longest of the 1990s. And also, he would go on, you know, as I said earlier, go on to WCW and actually beat, be the man to actually beat Goldberg. Um, actually end Goldberg's reign at 173-0 to 0, um, at Starcade 1998 to actually win the championship due to the taser attack 
by Scott Hall, um, Starcade nineteen ninety eight, which was another great show that I think the broadcast uh, should definitely do. Maybe a December episode uh, for a future wrestling companion. So big, these big dudes. So actual, so Diesel. So when did he actually make his run in WWE? We'll talk about Oz and Vinny Vegas. I reckon if we cover an old um, WCW show. So he actually debuted as Two Dudes with Attitude in 1993. He uh, was given the stage name of Diesel, with the character given the nickname Big Daddy Cool. For the role, Nash grew long hair, taking on the appearance of a typically cocky biker thug. Diesel supported black sunglasses and leather garments. The name of Diesel, suggested by Shane McMahon, was a play on the fact that Nash was from Detroit, known famously as the main streets of Motor City. To play off in the character's name, Nash's initial entrance music simply was a series of truck engine noises along with loud horns beeping. Diesel started off as a bodyguard slash best friend of Hart, and the two became known as Two Dudes with Attitudes. He made his WWF debut at a house show in June 6, 1993 by assisting Michaels defending Marty Jannetty for the WWE Intercontinental Championship. In January 1994, Diesel appeared at the Royal Rumble, eliminating seven men in under 18 minutes in the ring time. He then won the Intercontinental Championship from Razor Ramon, following interference by Michaels on April 30th edition of WWF Superstars. The duo of Michaels and Diesel then defeated the Headstrakers to win the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championship in August, making Nash a double champion. However, Diesel lost the IC title back to Razor Ramon the following night at SummerSlam, the alliance between Diesel and Michaels dissolved after short after Survivor Series, where Michaels accidentally performed a super kick on Diesel. Diesel then chased Michaels, and despite failing to catch him, the reaction from the crowd turned him babyface. However, Nash was no longer a tag team champion, as Michaels' actions resulted in the team being forced to vacate the tag team titles. On November 26, three days after Survivor Series, Diesel faced Bob Backland at Madison Square Garden for the WWF World Heavyweight Championship, which he won from Bret Hart's Survivor Series. Um, Diesel defeated Backland in an eight-second squash match. Diesel then promised Hart a rematch for the title, which they had the following month at the Royal Rumble. The match ended in a draw due to interference by several wrestlers, including Shawn Michaels. Michaels was irate about his former bodyguard, beating him to a WWE Championship, and uh, motivated to win the Royal Rumble later that evening earning a title shot, which took place the previous month from this year, which was WrestleMania 11. So again, Nash comes to the ring by Pamela Anderson, defeated Michaels to retain the championship. After the match, he left the ring with both Anderson and Michaels' replacement for her, Jesse McCarthy. The next night on Raw, as I said earlier, Michaels was then attacked by Sid, but then you actually had Diesel coming to the actual aid of Shawn Michaels, and then you had these guys actually then leading up to this event, which was in your house. So I won't talk a lot about the rest of Kevin Ash's career because I would like to talk about that when we cover some more shows possibly from his tenure in WWE, so the other in your houses, because I actually think he may have entered like the first four, four or five in your house events um, from like 1995 to like 1996 before he ended up departing and going back to WCW uh, with the actual Kevin Nash gimmick, which was when you had the, uh, the outsiders or the invasion really where you had, you know, Hall go first, followed by Nash, and at the same time period, you had Hulk Hogan, you know, already had left the World Wrestling Federation and was there having his feuds against, you know, Marcher Man, Vader, 
Flair, and I actually think won the, the WCW World Championship once or twice already in that time period. So, so good. A lot of offense here by Sid first. Probably this match has been fought on the outside, uh, with Diesel getting a lot of disadvantage really by the size and mass of Sid Justice, or Sid as they're calling him here. You've got Ted Biasi shouting out words of advice there in the corner of the Millennium Man, which was another thing. If you haven't checked that out, that was towards the end of uh, Sid's tenure. He was known as the Millennium Man when he was in um, WCW, which I noted that they didn't actually have that on Wikipedia of uh, former aliases or nicknames that he had. Offense here by Kevin Nash or Diesel fighting back here. Oh. So this event, as I said, this one's about a 12-minute main event, which was actually match number 8 on the card. No, 7 on the card, but 10th overall, without including the four dark matches. So you had the opening one, and then the four that had there were Taker, Karma, Bigelow, Tanaka, British Bulldog, and Owen Hart, which actually fought to a draw in actually the King of the Ring qualifier. Because I think they were actually taped at this show and then actually aired as a part of Raw would have been like the next night and then tape for the next, what, two weeks or something like that, so. So you got Ted Biasi telling him to pummel down Nash and try and be, win his actual first uh, WWE Championship. So he was never a tag team guy, looking at, just looking at uh, Sid's thing, he never had a reign as a, um, let me have a look, where's his notes here? Yeah, it was mainly singles guy. He did have one tag team reign. It was his early days of Shane Douglas at the NWL, NWA Southeastern Tag Team Championship for Southeastern Championship Wrestling. One-time US champion in WCW, two-time world champion, two-time WWF champion. He won the most overrated from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter in 1993. He was the reader's least favorite wrestler in 1993. Worst interview of 1999 and the most worked match of the year in 1990 against the, the Night Stalker. That all there from the Wrestler Observer Newsletter. Uh, back then, he's, he's early tensions. But he's also had a five-star match in 1991 where it was him, Ric Flair, Larry Zbysko and Barry Windham taking on Brian Pillman, Sting, Scott Steiner and Rick Steiner at WCW War Games Wrestle War. That was actually one of the very first um, WCW events because he actually had the Tim, uh, the uh, Jim Crockett promotions in the NWA and then you had the WCW come out next. And that's actually, I think it's also might have been covered by What Happens When Mondays with Tony Schiavone where they actually covered Wrestle War, which was in 1991. And also it's actually on the network. So if you actually have checked out the WCW section, Wrestle War is on there. And that War Games match was pretty cool. You know, looking at the lives of the guys you had there, you know, Pillman, Sting, the Steiners, you know, Flair, Wyndham. So, yeah, definitely want to maybe check that one out. Maybe after this I might have a look at that main event. But to get a five-star rating back in 1991, and then the rest of your Wrestling Observer reports be, you know, most overrated, least favourite wrestler, worst interview, and most worked match. Yeah, no. So all offense here by Sid, really nothing. Diesel's had nothing. The big leg drop, kick out by Diesel. Timmy White, the referee.
got him in a tight camel clunch, also would become the Steiner recliner by Scott Steiner. So the next event, King of the Ring. So I think it was January 25. Let's have a look at my, my notes here. Yeah, so it took place on June 25th, 1995 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, as I said, with ECW being there. The main event would be a tag team matchup with Diesel and Bam Bam against Tanaka and Psycho Sid. Their main match is on the undercard where Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawyer in a Kiss My Foot match. And also the King of the Ring final, which would actually be Mabel and Savio Vega. So you think one month earlier, Savio debuts in the WWE and then gets his way all the way to the actual final of the King of the Ring. The pay-per-view is somewhat uh, notorious amongst WWE fans as it's considered one of the worst pay-per-views ever produced by the company. Wow. He talks about... I never heard that one. Well, don't check out this uh, article. Okay. I don't think it was about... I like that show. I remember going back and watching that. I wouldn't say it's one of the worst shows. There's other shows I've hated. I wouldn't say that was one of them I didn't like. So a lot of offense here. Diesel's fighting back. Back to his feet. Big right hand. Working the stomach. Going for a choke slam here by... Jesus. That was Sid with a one-handed choke slam, but didn't even aid Nash. Just, like, hoisted him and slammed him. Now he's calling for the powerbomb, the jackknife. Could Sid jackknife Diesel? Here we go. He's got him set up. Here we go. Holy shit. Oh, he did it. Holy crap, Sid actually jackknifed Diesel. He got him. Pin him. Pin him, Sid. Come on. He's not even pinning him. He's laughing at him, smiling at him. Here we go. And he kicks out. Sid. Diesel back on his feet. Oh. Jack him again, Sid. Go for it again, man. So the other matches on King of the Rings, so you also had uh, the roadie took on Bob Holly in the King of the Ring qualifier. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, guys. King of the Ring qualifier. Sovia Vega defeated Yoko Zuna in the first quarterfinal. Karma defeated Shawn Michaels what to a time limit draw in the quarterfinal. Mabel defeated The Undertaker. Vega defeated The Roadie. Bret Hart defeated Jerry Lawyer by submission. Mabel defeated Vega in the final. Oh, jackknife there by Diesel. Wow. Oh, wait. Tanaka's here. Just as Nash was about to get the pinfall, the ref was on the two count. Tanaka jumps in and attacks Diesel, causing the DQ finish. Now it's Ted Biasa's in there. It's a triple man beatdown on Diesel. That was an awesome jackknife. So fast, though. Usually Nash holds him up for a little bit longer and drops him. That was almost like a whiplash bomb. <coughs> so now Sid's going for a second powerbomb. Three-man beatdown here. Timmy White trying to get some type of order. Here we go. 
And the crowd are cheering. Who's coming down? Here he comes, Bam Bam. So again, this would have led to the King of the Ring tag match, where you had the WWF champion Diesel and Bam Bam take on Tanaka and um, Sid. So Bam Bam comes to the aid of Diesel and the two faces standing tall and the heels are retreating, led by Ted Biasi. So DQ finished, and that's what they just announced there. So still your World Wrestling Federation champion, Diesel. And as I said, this would go on to have their tag team matchup at King of the Ring, which I actually think was won by Bam Bam and Diesel. I'll just see who actually got it. Yeah, so they did actually beat them. And that was a 17-minute match they had there at King of the Ring uh, about a month later. So the champion stands tall. Well, guys, actually, thank you once again for actually checking out this episode. This is an impromptu wrestling companion going back and watching uh, WWF In Your House. Number one, Diesel takes on Sid for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Shout out to the promos that are also featured throughout the show. Just want to use this time to actually give a shout out to our PWO brothers there in the United States. The hashtag PWO we use. It's a great network of wrestling podcasts that you guys should definitely go and check out. The first one is the Smart Spot podcast at Smart Spot on Twitter. You've got Josh and Leah who do a weekly show covering all things in the week of WWE from Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and 205 Live. They actually take their show on Thursday evenings around 12 o'clock. You've also got the Roar is Bored podcast, R.I.B. podcast. Check them out on Twitter at Roar is Bored. Also to the WNA podcast. Check them out at WNA podcast. That's to Joe, uh, both uh, Cliff and Rob. If you like love professional wrestling and also pop culture, go out and check out the WNA podcast. Also the Gimmick Table. These guys do some great things with independent wrestling interviews. They also actually have now moved on to do another new podcast called Bad Buds Sour Hour. Their debut episode of that show will be coming out soon. So check them out at Bad Buds Sour Hour. Also to Boy Meets World. So the guys actually from the uh, Rora's Ball are now doing Boy Meets World. Where they go back and actually check out the uh, Boy Meets World TV show. Doing weekly breakdowns of each episode. Also to the Wretched Wrestling Podcast at Wretched Wrestle on Twitter. Also do their show on Periscope and all things WWE from Raw, SmackDown, NXT and also 205 Live. Shout out to also the co-host of this podcast, my brother Alan. Check him out at AlanRoss84. And you can check us out on the broadcast at B-R-O-K-A-S-T. Shout out there to our P-W-O brothers. Once again, guys, thank you for checking out this episode. I look forward to doing another one in a couple of weeks' time. Maybe I might do In Your House number two. We'll see how we go. Uh, But guys, as I say, each and every episode, enjoy life. Enjoy what you're doing. So good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night.
What is the Pottern family? This is Gareth from the Open All Powers podcast. This is Adam from Everyone Has a Podcast. This is Matthew McDonough from the Passersby podcast. This is Nick from the Epic Film Guys podcast. This is Eric Mocker from the Mockers podcast. Hey, this is Rick from Ice and the Face. Hey guys, it's Rad Dad Chad. Jay Mills. And Lil Man. From the Full of Fiber podcast. Hey, we're Josh and David from the Scotch and Flicks podcast. Hey y'all, it's Juliette Miranda from the Unwritable Rant podcast. Hey, this is Bro from the World of Row podcast. This is Cyanide from the Little Geek Lost podcast. This is Paul from the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast. This is Greg from the Sports Stands podcast. This is Nock from the Geek Over podcast. We are you, podcasters coming together in a community to help one another grow. So follow us on Twitter at Potter and Family and use the hashtag Potter and Family in your tweets and retweet other people who do the same. Potter and Family, where great podcasts come home.